Welcome to Doggy Dish, where two of LA's best dog trainers serve up a hearty helping of dog topics. At the end of this podcast, we'll provide information on how to contact our trainers. And now, here they are. Hi, this is Kim Reinhart with Ain't Misbehaving Canine. And Laura Berheny from Animal Attraction Unlimited. Thank you for joining us today. Today we're going to talk about how to... I guess train in a multi-dog household or how to gain influence in a multi-dog right. household. We talked about living in a multi-dog household before, but now we're going to talk about specifically how to train them and get them to listen to you. And the first thing, instead of doing a how-to initially, is the first thing we need to talk about is the importance of it, of how often it is that people have groups of dogs that when the dogs are all together, they either have one dog that calls the shots for everybody, and so you've got one dog that's trained, and everybody just sort of follows that first dog. And so everybody thinks that all of the dogs are trained, and that the resident dogs trained all the newcomers, which can happen, but it doesn't mean that if that dog is gone, that everybody else is going to now listen and know what they're doing. Because it's just a game of follow the leader. They aren't listening to the handler. They're listening to the other dog, and they're following the lead of the other dog. I have a really good example of this. I had a client with a big driveway and a big gate, and there were always cars and people and stuff moving around in the driveway. And to keep the dogs safe from the cars, what we did was we taught them that when an engine starts or when the gate opens, that all the dogs go and stand in the breezeway. And every time they got a new dog, everybody thought that the new dog was trained because he would follow the other dogs into the breezeway. And then they were surprised, like if that dog was someplace else on the property, that the new dogs wouldn't do it. Right. If they told the dog to go do it, to go stand in the breezeway, that the dog wouldn't do it because they didn't have the leader to follow. Right. The other thing that happens, I think, is that people get multiple dogs and they have pretty much very little influence when the dogs are all together. So maybe when the dog when they have a single dog out at a time, that dog would listen to them. But when the dogs all get together, instead of listening to the handler, they listen to the other dogs. They're basically, they've lost all their influence. The handler's lost all their influence because they're the lowest on the totem pole in terms of influence. And so it's important for that not to be the case because a lot of times problems with dogs arise, especially dogs getting aggressive, arise when dogs are in a group or you know, dogs make terrible mistakes when they're in a group because somebody gets the bright idea to do something and everybody follows suit and the handler has zero influence and um, whether it's going after another dog or going after a person or a cat or whatever. And in order to ensure that those kinds of things don't happen, you have to, if you have a group of dogs, work to get more influence than everybody else. <laughs> so, for instance, I don't think any of my dogs are trained to my other dogs. I think in the end... I have a group of dogs, and I'm the most influential person, the most influential individual of us all. So if I say something, everybody listens to me, but not necessarily because the other dogs are listening. I was recently at a friend's house, um, and somebody was walking outside of their property. They have a pretty big piece of property. Somebody was walking outside of the property, and the dogs all ran to the fence to you know, get all aroused at the fact that there was somebody outside of the gate. And I said to her, don't let them do that. <laughs> Call them. And the truth of the matter is in a large group, then the large group that they were in, they wouldn't listen to her. If it was one dog out there with her, with any of the dogs, and somebody was walking by, she could have called the dog away from the fence and it wouldn't stand there barking crazy at the fence. But because it was a big group of them, they were more influential on each other. They had more influence on each other than she did. 
And so it stands to reason that if for some reason that fence had gone down, you know, or there had been a breach in that fence, that if they had gone after whoever was on the other side of that fence, she couldn't have stopped them, which is a serious situation and something that I told her we need to remedy (laughs) sooner rather than later. And I think the mistake that a lot of people make is, okay, they might train the dogs individually, but then they think that because the dogs are trained individually without the presence of the other dogs, that now they can all be put together, like people who have more than two dogs, Mm -hmm. so three or four dogs or even in some cases five dogs, Mm -hmm. that now they can... Since they all listen individually, now I can just put them all together and expect them all to pay attention. Right. And that's not the case. What you have to do is, well, I mean, at least what I do is I put them with one other dog. Mm-hmm. And then when they listen to me in the presence of the other dog, then I'll put them with another dog, mm-hmm. with a different dog, and make sure that they listen to me in different combinations. And then I might add another dog in and right. make sure that they, I don't just go, okay, he's listening to me great, you know, here in the in my office with nobody else around, now I can just put them with the other dogs and everybody's going to listen to me. Right. So if you had a situation where you had five dogs, let's say you had five dogs, and you would train each individual dog individually to begin with, then you would put the two dogs two dogs together. Then you would put that first dog with another dog, but not the same one. And you would work mm-hmm. through each one of those five dogs, In right? different combinations. And in, in every combination possible. And then you might work three dogs together in every combination possible. Exactly. And then four dogs in every combination possible until you worked it up to five dogs. It gets much easier, by the way, after three dogs. I mean, once you've, once they've mastered the skills with three dogs, unless you have a very, very, very influential individual in the group, it gets a lot easier after that. But those, the first, the biggest hump to get over is those first two and then three dogs together. It seems to be like the critical. Yeah, and the way to do it is that the first dog that you put the dog with is the one that has the least influence over the dog. For Mm -hmm. example, uh, you have two dogs that play a lot and one dog that really doesn't play with the other two. Mm -hmm. You What you do is you work with one of the dogs that plays a lot in the presence of the one that doesn't really play because that dog is not as much of a draw. And then you work both of those dogs. Yes. When you take those dogs out, you're not just... If I'm going to work on dogs in a group... I don't take out two dogs and say, well, I'm going to concentrate all my energies on dog A and dog B is just going to be hanging out for the ride. Anytime those dogs are together, you're working with both dogs. You're putting emphasis on working with dog A and dog B or dog A and dog C or when they're all together. And I think this is something that doesn't happen a lot. I mean, I think that a lot of times people have groups of dogs and because it's very easy to get dogs to work, not very easy, but that it is possible to get dogs sort of to work en masse, right? You know, you you call them and one turns around to come and because they're all influenced, they all turn around to come. And so you kind of get comfortable with having behaviors that they don't know as individuals. A friend of mine has two dogs and one of the things, and she has two of my puppies, and one of the things that I've really kind of harped on her lately is I want these dogs to work as individuals. I do not want them to work as a team because as a team, then when you get out into the park and you're walking around and they're used to working as a team, they're going to have more influence over each other than you are if something happens. And that could be unfortunate if a, if a rabbit or a squirrel came out or, you know, somebody with a dog or whatever. And so, We've been working with them to get like stays, recalls, that kind of thing individually 
one dog at a time. The dogs will be across the park call in one dog at a time, or the dogs will be on a stay, or the dogs will want to come into someplace. Like um, she leaves them at my house on Mondays to do agility, and so she'll come to pick them up, and I will leave the door standing open with the two dogs in there, walk out to her truck, and call one dog at a time, and the other dog has to stay, and, you know, we we rotate that. And in a perfect world, and certainly in my perfect little world... <laughs> That's how I've worked my dogs, is that I can get one dog to respond at a time. How do you do that? It's, um, depending on how many dogs you have, it's a lot more work. It's a lot more work. If you have two yeah. dogs, it's twice as much. And if you have three, it's three times as much. And you know, one way that I work it, because a lot of people say, well, he won't listen to me when the other dog is in the room, or the other dog in the room is is milling about and causing problems and trying to start, you know, trying to interrupt what I'm doing with this dog. So what I'll tell them is, Put the dog on a tie-down on another side of the room. Put the dog in a crate on the other side of the room. Put the dog behind a baby gate someplace so that he still is present, but he's not interfering with the training process. Mm -hmm. And then what you can do is you can vary your distance from the other dog. Mm -hmm. So you may not be able to get the one, you know, dog A to pay attention to you when you're five feet from dog B's crate. But maybe if you move across the room 20 or 25 feet away, now you can get that dog's attention. And then at the same time, you can reward the dog that's over behind the baby gate or on the or on a bed on a tie-down. You can, at the same time, be rewarding that dog for stay so that eventually you can take that dog off of the tie-down and he stays there while you are interacting with dog A. And for me, for my own training style, we would go from that baby gate to no baby gate fairly quickly because Mm -hmm. I don't want to stay in that situation where I want to work with the dogs individually long enough before I start this process that when I start to work with them together, I have fairly reliable behaviors on each dog individually. So for me, I won't start people working with two dogs together until they've gotten pretty reliable with their behaviors individually. Then we start putting them together. That way, if you do have to add the tie down or you have to add the baby gate, it's for a short period of time. You're not really reliant on it. So it's, say, you have the dog on a tie down and you put the dog that's on his bed in a down and you work with the other dog away from that and you go back and reward the dog on the down that you're really working with a lot of success, a high success rate. So that almost from the get-go when you start working those two dogs together, you are getting the responses that you want. You make yeah, it so you're pretty easy. sure of the yes. outcome. Yes. You're pretty sure of the outcome. Yes. But I know people who, you know, they'll work the dog fine by himself and then they bring the other dogs in and they'll put the dogs in crates. Mm-hmm. And the other dog is running around and this isn't an actual training session, but the other dogs are in crates in the room close by and they don't understand why the one dog isn't listening to them. And I try to point out to them, well, those dogs are in the room. Well, yes, but they're in their crates. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. They're still present. And a lot of times you can tell, most times you can tell who the dog is listening to. Because you'll tell the dog to do something and he'll look over his shoulder at the other dog. Or his ear will twitch towards the other dog like, are we doing this? What am I doing? And so you can tell who the dog is paying attention to. And for me, what that would indicate, I'm curious to hear your take on this, because for me what that would indicate is that you haven't worked with that individual dog long enough to deal with this challenge. Definitely. And so that just means that you need to put in a lot of work. If you're going to have three dogs, that's a lot of training. (laughs) It is. And one of the the things that kind of I notice with people is they get three dogs and then they go, well, I didn't know it was going to be this much much training. Yeah, that's kind of tough cookies. (laughs) 
I mean, you're you're there now, so you just have to accept that what you did, you you didn't really realize this was the case, but it is. It's a lot of training. It's a lot of work. The good news is you do that work and you never regret that. Makes that experience of having those three dogs so much more rewarding. And you do it for, you know, for six months or so, eight months of originally owning, you know, the second dog or the, the latest dog. And it's a lifetime worth of reward. Yes. Whereas if you don't do the work, if you don't put in the time, if you don't put in the hours, then it's a lifetime of being frustrated that this dog is not listening to you. And then also there are the people who get the first dog and know what they're getting into when they get the first dog and everything is great and that dog is trained. They spend a lot of time with that dog and then a couple of years goes by, they get a second dog because now they're working more, now they have a family, now they have kids, now they're much more busy. So they get a second dog as a companion for the first dog and they don't have the time, they don't put in the time to train the second dog. And they think, yeah, okay, in some ways the older dog will influence the second dog's behavior for some good things, but that doesn't mean that that second dog is going to listen to you like the first dog. And then they end up getting frustrated with the second dog because he's not as good as the first dog when they never gave him a chance. And it can create the situation where the second dog now causes the first dog to... To decline in behavior. Yes, exactly. So it's really important that you acknowledge before you get a dog before you get a second third fourth whatever however many dogs that you're going to have that it's important that these dogs all work more for you than they do for each other so in a really good working environment or not even working environment because that makes it sound like this is about competing or that kind of thing but in a really good healthy home environment the dogs while they all have great relationships with each other are the most tied in to what you have to say. You are the one who is the most influential. You're the person that has the bottom line word about what's going to happen. And although it's work, it's so worth it. I think for me this became really obvious because I do have a couple of people that I've come in contact with recently that are friends of mine, and those are the people I prefer to talk about because (laughs) they're okay with it. Are you sure about that? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) But they have dogs that they have put some work into, and the dogs are nice dogs. But when they all get together, they're not really reliable. So, like I was talking about the, the girl that has the two puppies the two they're not puppies anymore they're a year and a half old but those two dogs for me the two australian shepherds if she were to be out in the park by herself with the dogs and somebody were to show up with another animal or something and she called them they would turn around and come back on a dime but if the two of them were together and they were a certain distance from her and somebody were to pop out of the bushes with another dog and she called them i know for a fact well i don't know for a fact but i know i feel very certain that they would be feeding off of each other's energy to go forward rather than having her have more influence over them to bring them back. And I, and so I said to her when she came to pick them up the other day, you know, here's the thing. I know that shouldn't be the case. I know these dogs. I know these dogs really well. I know their temperament. I know, you know, their mindset. I know how biddable they are. And that shouldn't happen. That's just a matter of not having done the work. So it made me realize how often people think, well, that's just the way it is because I have two dogs and nothing can be done about it. But that's not. That's not the case. That's just a matter of you need to train through that. Yeah, and a lot of times, you know, what I'll do is like, let's say 
somebody's dogs take off because there's a squirrel on the fence or in a tree outside and they take off after that at least a bark around the base of the tree and you may not be able to get the newest dogs that you haven't been able to put the work in you may not be able to get their attention and peel them away but you can get the more influential dogs away from there and so what you're doing is you're taking that support group away from the other dog so that finally he's the only one out there and he's going to look around and say nobody else is here and then you can get his attention and, and call him so if a situation were to come up that's how I would take care of it and go, okay, well, now I know that I need to work on that it's dog. It's identified a problem this, for you. Exactly. Right. So now I know that I need to I need to work on that dog. So what I would do is if there's a certain time of the morning, which there is around here, that the squirrels are up in the tree because they're oranges and stuff, I will keep the other dogs, the more experienced dogs in the house, and then go outside and work that situation with the newer dog. Yeah. It's kind of important if you're going to have a large group of dogs that you – do the work necessary to have control of this. The, the funny thing is, you know, typically people get one dog and because it's one dog and it's really interesting and it's more interesting to do the work with, they're pretty devoted to that first dog doing the training or whatever. And then they start to get more and they get busier and there's more mess and there's more responsibility and there's more to take care of and the dog's demand more and they have less time they feel they have less time to put into training and so as the number of dogs go up the amount of training given to the dogs actually goes down and the truth is your dogs are more likely to make a really bad error (laughs) you know an error that could cause a tragedy i mean biting someone or going after somebody else's animal or whatever they're more likely to do that when they're in a larger group And I think that when you are in the dog world, and I don't know about you, I'm fairly interested in cases that get talked about on television where somebody gets attacked by a dog or there's some kind of dog bite issue. I'm always interested in what's the backstory to this. And often you can't get the backstory, but you can get pieces of the backstory. So often those are dogs that are in a group. So very often those are dogs that are in a group. It's not that it couldn't happen with an individual dog. But most of the time it does happen in a group of dogs. And so knowing, obviously, that that's a factor in this whole thing, well, that's what inspired me to want to talk about this is, you know, people get groups of dogs and I don't know that they think about the fact that they're going to be more difficult to control when they're in a larger group. You're going to have less influence than you have when you have a single dog. I think my dogs are really good in a group because I work on this very hard. This is something I'm really aware of and I work on really hard. But even with me working on it very hard and being very, very aware of it, my dogs are still, well, they're pretty reliable in a group. But but I would call them easier. It's less for me to think about when I have a single dog out. What would you say for your situation? Oh, definitely. Because also when you have more than one dog out, like let's say you go to the field near you or whatever, even a, a park, mm-hmm. a dog park or whatever, that... Because that's the only place I'd ever take a dog off leash, but go on. <laughs> that you are distracted. Your yes. attention is split. Yes. Trying to keep your eye on everything that's going on. Yes. And so if your attention is less mm-hmm. to each individual dog... Ideally, we want their attention to you to be more. Mm. Because if your attention is split and you have multiple dogs and they don't listen to you individually anyway, what are the chances they're going to listen to you now? 
Yeah. When you're not paying full attention to them and they're out with other dogs. When you're not 100%, yeah. basically. Yeah. You're only giving 50% to each dog. And if they're not even, if you're not 100% with them when they're individuals, and now you're out and they're only giving, so you're 50% with them as an individual, and now you're out and your attention is split, you're actually only got 25% of their attention. Okay. So... So when you start this, one of your tips is to do something so that one of the dogs is under control, whether in a baby gate or in a tie-down situation. Yeah, or behind, like even a glass door, you know, just something so that the other dog is, or having somebody holding the dog or the dog up on the couch being pet by somebody, I don't care. The dog doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't have to be actually interacting or part of the training process, just as long as they're in the room. Well, a great way to start that, by the way, if you have access to it, is to have two handlers and two dogs. Yeah. Because that gets each dog in the habit of working in the presence of the other dog. And don't then always the two have the handlers, same handler working the same dog. I was they just have to say, switch. Then the two handlers switch off for the dog. So if you've got a husband and wife team and, they're, and you have two dogs and you're working each of the dogs, you know, both of the dogs together, each person is handling, you pass back handler to dog teams so that it, or that you mix them up. But that was so can you Can you say that again? Wow. That was really good. That even confused me, and it's in my head. So you have a husband and wife team. Each person is working a dog, and then you pass the dogs back and forth so that you have them working with different handlers. And, and that gets them in the habit of working in each other's presence, and that's the same premise behind yeah. baby gate tie down that kind of thing correct yes and you see this in group classes a lot i mean i don't teach group classes but i go to my friends group classes often Mm -hmm. and you see husband and wife there brother and sister or whatever there with dogs and they're both in the same training class they tend to sit right next to each other which makes it more difficult rather than sitting across the room from each other and it's always the same person handling the same dog and if I were teaching the class, I would make them switch every so week. So would I. I would make them switch. No, you're going to handle this dog tonight. You're going to handle this dog tonight. Even throughout the course of the class, I might have somebody handle the dog for half the class and then the other person handle it for the other half of the class. Yeah. Because you're right. That really puts them it in It changes position. it. It yeah. changes the whole picture for the dog, and it makes a difference. Little things like that make a big difference. Mm-hmm. And so does being close to each other versus further away from each other in the class. All those things need to be changed up. If you were to do that, if you were to say, okay, I have a dog and, or we have two dogs and my husband handles one and I handle the other, we pass them back and forth and we work with them. And now I want to start working two dogs, one handler. Well, you're already, you've got a bit of a head start already because the dogs are accustomed to working in the presence of each other. That's a little bit. But it's going to change up the picture when you go to one handler and two dogs. So that might be a really good time for you to employ the tie-down temporarily for a short period of time, maybe putting one on a downstay and then working with the other one a little bit and then switching them out, putting the other one on a downstay and making sure to reward both dogs. So if I was working with... Let's say I was put one dog on a tie-down, and I put him on a downstay, and I came out, and I did a couple of behaviors with this dog, and I rewarded him. Then I would definitely break from what I was doing, walk over, and reward that second dog. And another way you can do it is, uh, and one thing that I would do is also give the dog on the tie-down a bully stick or a stuffed Kong toy or something to keep him busy, too. Because he doesn't have to always be paying attention to what I'm doing. Well, the reason that I'm saying that I wouldn't do that is because the ultimate goal is to get the two of them to work with you. And so if he's distracted doing his own thing, then he's really not thinking about working on anything with you. Right? He's, right. He's no, but I'm you. saying sometimes sometimes I would do that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I would. I mean, sometimes I do want him to pay attention to me, but sometimes I want him to just be doing his own thing. 
especially if he's got a Kong toy or a bully stick that he's chewing on that the dog that I'm working with might be more interested in, right? That's another step up because he's over there minding his own business, mm-hmm. but enjoying something that the dog I'm working with might want a piece of. But right. no, dude, guess what? You get to stay over here and work with me. So then you've worked with them well on the tie down and now you're taking the next step and you're graduating to taking the dog that was on the tie down off the tie down. Now you're going to start working with the two of them. You might want to do, if you've worked on stays very well, I think stays are a great way to start when you're working with two dogs together anyway, because a stay is just a really good thing to be able to put the two dogs on a stay. Maybe put the two dogs on a stay and start with them side by side, then start working them further away from each other with you moving away. Or you might, tell, tell you get to the point where you've actually moved one of the dogs is doing a stay at the opposite side of you. So one of the dogs is doing a stay in front of you, maybe 10 feet in front of you. One of them is doing a stay 10 feet behind you. Now you've gotten them to the place where uh, they can see each other. You don't all, you're do not you not always facing them. Your focus isn't 100% on... Yeah, that's a really them. good exercise to do that, you know, getting the dog to understand that he's under control even when you're not staring right at him and even when he is looking at the other dog. And from then you might graduate to leaving one on a stay while you walk another one away for 10 feet and then come back or whatever. I mean, there's, you know, you take this in stair steps. These are not the stair steps I take, by the way, because I go in much bigger leaps than this. But I think that it just depends on the dog, how much work you've done with them. I mean, I start this kind of work when they first come to my house. Like it's... They almost don't have a chance to settle in, which is a really good tip, is if you bring them home and you start instantly working them with this goal, and they never get into the habit of not listening to you around the other dog. So, I mean, is that a way that you would do this, or do you start? You mean, do I just bring a new dog in, like when I get a new dog, and most of my new dogs are adults, you know, six months or over, um, do I just bring them in and let them have a free-for-all for a little while before I actually start training them? No, I start training them in the presence of the other dogs very, very quickly. No, I thought that that's what you were asking me. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm asking you. Do you start training them in the presence yeah. of the other dog very quickly? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I start, I mean, for like the first um, two or three days, maybe they're, you know, on a leash attached to me or in my office or whatever, just hanging out with me a lot. And then just so that I can get to know the dog. Because, again, they're mostly adolescent or adults when they come in so i'm not sure about them i'm not just going to turn them loose with my dogs my resident dogs Mm -hmm. until i'm sure how they are right and then i'll start working them i'll work them you know like because i have a baby gate set up in the kitchen and all a couple of the dogs might be on that side of the baby gate and then i'll work the new dog and maybe have him on a leash but not holding on to the leash so that if he gets distracted starts to walk over to there i can stop him from ignoring me i can stop him from going all the way over there and i can get his attention back because the last thing i want to do is is be working with him and have him go i think i want to go over here and let him get all the way over there right and that's why when you start working on something like this a long line is one of your best friends a leash then to a long line mm-hmm. a longer line a 15 foot line or whatever because it's like that the long way- arm of the law i can prevent you from if you're gonna if you're gonna not pay attention to what i'm doing at least i'm gonna prevent you from doing what you want to do right Okay, well, I think maybe we'll revisit this in the future because there's a lot to talk about in multi-dog households. We've done a podcast about multi-dog households before, but it is a busy, active, <laughs> full problem. <laughs> and it takes problem. work. Yeah. And I think as long as people understand that it takes work and you need to work them each individually, 
and then in the presence of the other dog, but not throw them out in the yard and now expect them to pay attention to you. That's not working them in the presence of the other dog. Right. There are multiple steps in between there. Okay. Well, so that's it for today? Yep. Great. This is Kim Reinhart with Ain't Miss Babe and Canine. And Laura Berhani from Animal Attraction Unlimited. Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to Doggy Dish, a podcast series about dog training and other related issues. To suggest a topic for a future segment, please email us at dogdishtopics at yahoo.com. To learn more about our featured trainers, or if you're interested in training for your own dog and you live in the Los Angeles area, you may contact Laura or Kim directly. To speak with Laura, call 818-800-4818 or visit her website at www.petdogtrainer.com. To speak with Kim, call 818-890-1133 or visit her website at www.beagooddog.com. Thank you for listening.